Welcome to Geographical Thinking in 2021. This is the podcast where you get ideas, stories, and conversations all through the lens of geography. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Guan Yu. Today, I have a co-host, Emily Rabot, who's also my colleague. Hello, Emily. Hi, Guan. Emily and I, we're having a conversation with John Rapp, the Executive Director at Double Record Recreational Association, a community-based charitable organization that runs Ottawa's busiest community center. Twelve years ago, the organization did a demographic mapping exercise, which helped them look deeply into the community they serve and reveal insights that eventually led to new initiatives that made a difference. Emily, I know the story really hits home for you, almost literally. Yeah, I grew up going to summer camps there as a kid, taking leadership courses as a teenager. So I attribute a lot of great memories and personal growth to Dover Court. Uh, I'm sure I speak for a lot of people when I say that Dover Court has been or is a really valuable part of their community experience in Ottawa. And uh, John has extensive experience in community development and recreation, both in government and in the not-for-profit sector. So uh, one thing that sets John apart is his ability to communicate his vision. It's brought him to where he is today at the head of one of the city of Ottawa's busiest community centers. So welcome, John, to Geographical Thinking. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. Well, I was kind of curious to hear about the community. We call ourselves serving the uh, the village of Greater Westboro in the city of Ottawa. So in terms of what the statistical data tells us is that it's a, a very middle class, mostly white, highly educated uh, urban community um, right on the fringe. And so very, very well served with infrastructure in terms of parks and roads and buses. And so it's it, it tends to be... Uh, a great place to buy a house and to have a family, lots of schools. In serving that community and designing program to suit what is uh, a largely middle-class, uh, very family-oriented community, you end up building quality into what you're doing. And that in turn has drawn people of like minds from across the whole of Ottawa, and of course, a short drive from Quebec as well. So tell us a little bit more about Dovercourt and its success over the years. So Dovercourt uh, really has its roots in the 70s. So you need to remember peace, love, and power to the people. So uh, it was an initiative started by the then Director of Recreation, Don Gamble, um, to empower the community to run their own show. Uh, It does take a healthy community, meaning that uh, it has to be a community where people have time and expertise to devote. But what it does is it essentially takes what is normally a municipally delivered service and funds a more local not-for-profit organization to deliver those services in a way that's a little bit more uh, specific and involving of the community it's intended to serve. And so it's been a success pretty much from the start. Um, It was uh, Westboro in Ottawa is very much a healthy community in, in almost all ways. And certainly we benefited from some great Uh, talent on our board of directors over the years uh, who do a lot of strategic thinking. When I got there, they'd been so focused on just surviving those first five years that they did not have a strategic plan. And and, uh, in my experience, if you don't know where you want to go, you're not going to end up where you think you should be. So my first uh, object as the brand new guy uh, was to say, can we please have a retreat and do a strategic plan? Tell me where you want to be in the next three to five year period and we'll see if we can get there. 
And so that's where we went. So in this um, strategic thinking and strategic planning process that you mentioned, um, you were doing, you did a mapping exercise. Why was it so important at that time? I mean, it, you mentioned that it seems that you have a lot of knowledge of the local communities you're serving at that point. What do you hope to get out of this exercise? Well, I grew up in an adjoining community, so I, I felt like I knew Westboro well. But when you when you start uh, in a new organization, you want to check your assumptions. And so uh, we were very fortunate to have uh, expertise from Statistics Canada uh, available to us um, on the board. And um, this gentleman had actually developed a program that was very popular internationally called the Four Pillars of Community. And so that was really the basis of our look. What uh, what are the four pillars of community? What makes a learning community? So we looked at, uh, at data from that perspective. And so if you can picture a map and then you have Dovercourt at the center and you've got all these little dots uh, that come from our use of uh, Esri really and, and our registration software to pop them onto the map and show where are people coming from? And so that validated uh, a lot of what we thought we knew in terms of that most of our clients came from the immediate area uh, no greater than a 10-minute drive, in many cases, a short walk. But you'd also see outliers like, what where, where the heck are these dots way the heck over here? Uh, and why are they coming all this way? And you'd also see gaps uh, in, in areas that are close to you where you see no dots of participants. So when you're laying that on top of, of other data that we get from Statistics Canada, uh, like education or uh, economic levels, um, uh, race, a language, it starts to show you where your reach might be weak. And so because we're a partner with the city of Ottawa, our mandate is to serve all citizens, um, all ages and abilities. And so it helps you figure out, well, it might feel like a success when you're sitting there, but if you look at the map and you see that there's a socioeconomically challenged part of your neighborhood and you have no participation there, it tells you you need to do something about that. And so that's what we use the data to do is, well, we think we're succeeding. The numbers look good. Finances are working. Uh, but who are we not serving becomes the question. And so whenever we found gaps, uh, some of them powered by language, some of them powered by race, some of them powered by economics, they, they, they hatch a whole bunch of initiatives to address that. And so in terms of diversity of participation, um, it's, it sparked uh, a number of projects we did with local community health organizations that serve um, the more challenged population. Say, what can we do to get your clients to come to Dovercourt? Uh, because the clients would perceive it as out of their reach because it's not that close to them, out of their reach in terms of it looks expensive. If they look at our website or our marketing materials and they see prices, they go, I could never afford that. So it sparked um, things like a financial assistance program uh, that where we inform the staff of, of the community health centers how to guide people into getting over the financial obstacle. So I mentioned that the community is very white middle class, but the staff and the participation is not anymore. And I would describe that directly to the initiatives we did 12, 15, 20 years ago to say, how do we invite them in? How do we keep them engaged? So did this bring on a lot of programming changes and like like in the center, some some new programming that was in, uh, introduced or changed a little bit? 
Yeah. yeah. Can you give us an example of that? Sure. We, we have looked at health and fitness, for example, and it, it's the one area where recreation has serious competition. If you think of municipal recreation, all municipal recreation departments have health and fitness, but every place also has a good life or a Mobati or somebody who's competing head on with you for that. And so we, we thought about that and said, well, there actually is a number of these commercial places close to us. Um, what, what community can we serve? And when we looked at the map and we saw that some clients were coming from really far away and we then analyzed, well, why are they coming so far? It turned out that they were people that needed a specific program that only we offered. And so it, it led us to a partnership with the rehab center to develop programs for specific populations like those that suffer from fibromyalgia, uh, Parkinson's, um, and so we found partners that had expertise and started to deliver programs. Uh, also, we, we have a pool that's really designed for accommodating the disabled. So these kind of special needs fitness programs became a large part of our offering and created a fairly large population citywide that comes to Dovercourt because the programs are fairly exclusive to our location. They're expensive. Uh, they require a great deal of instructor expertise, but they're incredibly rewarding to offer when you see the impact they have on the individuals. So that's what led us to a fairly significant population of people with disabilities that see Dover Court as home because it has so that, the right programs and the right infrastructure to host them. So that insight of you know people with accessibility issues may come far uh, from the community center. Has that led to changes or adjustment of your programs? We have an annual event we call our social services lunch. Um, and so just to make sure that we're still in tune with all the communities that are within ours that are often hidden, um, we have a lunch and it's a speed dating event. Uh, we, we essentially ask them who they are, who they represent, who they look after, what they have to share and what they really, really need. And so it introduced us to some segments of our population that otherwise we would never have met. There were lots of city housing locations around us uh, that would have loved to avail themselves of our free swims for the last center in Ottawa that has free swims for the disabled. And the obstacles to participation uh, are invisible to us until you start asking questions. And so a lot of these people uh, live in, in uh, community housing uh, that's paid, subsidized by the city of Ottawa. And they're kind of scattered throughout the neighborhood. And they might look like they're physically close, but if you can't walk and it's winter time um, and public transit takes you like 45 minutes in another direction before it puts you on a, on a bus to take a different route to come back to where you want to go, it was almost impossible for these people to get there in any reasonable amount of time. So at the speed dating event, uh, we're sharing what we have to offer and people say, oh, my, my people would love to do that, but I have no way of getting there. Literally the next person I sat down with said, I, I'm Ottawa West Community Support. What we do is we have a passenger van and we take people to medical appointments and things that I went, uh, how big is your van? And uh, they said, well, it's an eight to 12 person van. I said, can it take people in wheelchairs? They're going, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And I'm going, holy cow. So. We, um, we essentially leveraged that and uh, they had initial funding to do it for six months. And we said, can we, can we book you then? We put signs up in each of these community housing locations saying um, the swim bus um, is what we branded it. We got a big magnetic sticker to put on it that said swim bus. 
And we arranged that they would essentially do a route to all of these community housing places until they were full and then bring them to Dovercourt. And it was very successful. Very successful, not in terms of huge numbers, but the van was full. So you have 12 people that are coming to a swim that weren't coming before, plus the, the, the population we already had in that swim started to feel like fun. And it, it does all come back to the data in terms of, well, what you have a high density of population in an area, but you don't have much penetration in terms of your user data. You're saying, well, I don't have clients coming from there, but it's a big high rise, what the heck? And you find out, okay, well, it's a community housing high rise. Their obstacles are either financial or physical to getting to Dovercourt. Well, yeah. how do we fix that? Yeah, I find this story especially inspiring because it circled back to what you said earlier that you don't know what you don't know until you put it on a map, so to speak, and look deeper into the communities that you're serving and that inside that gap that you get out of that exercise um, later turns on it turns turns into a lot of collaboration between agencies and outreach to a new community or group of people that you wouldn't have got otherwise so that's great and now john i heard in uh now or very soon that your organization is looking to do this demographics mapping exercise all over again after 12 years why well um Boards don't live forever. Uh, so you have to keep your board focused on strategic. And so as well, you know, the longer that you work somewhere, the more you can think that you know it. Um, and taking a step back again and looking at the, at the data was necessary not only for the board, but also for the, for the staff. So the, the entire board had changed since we did this last. They started to ask the same sort of questions of me about how do we know we're serving the community? Should we do a survey of the community? And, and so we, we hunted down the former board member who was a high-ranking uh, bureaucrat at Statistics Canada and re-engaged with him to help us uh, ask the right questions and use the right data to kind of replicate what we did 12 years ago to see, well, what progress have we made? And how has the community changed in the time since we last did this? And are we still on track? So all of the data crunching kind of led to um, a lot of validation in terms of what we'd already been doing, but some subtle changes in how we were operating that I think will really pay off in the next uh, three to five years. Do you mind sharing some of those uh, things that you learned? The first learning thing was that our community really hadn't changed much demographically. It had become more dense, but it had become more dense in the same way that it was. It, it remains a... Uh, on average across our community, the average income is still high. Um, lots of double income, um, lots of single family homes. So what was weak about our community 12 years ago remains weak today in, in that there's not a great diversity of affordable housing in the community that we draw on. So it validated that we need to continue to reach outside of our borders if we hope to serve diversity. And so our relationship with all of the community uh, health organizations was validated as remaining important. Um, the other thing that we noticed is that there was a growing gap in our awareness because the pandemic has stopped all of our community events. So we have an annual uh, event in the fall called the Principal's Breakfast. Uh, it's outgrown being just all of the school principals in my catchment area. It's all community leaders in the catchment area. And we would have usually a panel to discuss things like uh, uh, women in sport or um, 
accessibility issues or uh, the indigenous population and how we teach about them in schools. So it's always focused on education, but the side effect is it brings a whole bunch of community leaders together and we learn about each other. Social services lunch was also out the window. And we said, well, now if we can't meet these people regularly, how are we still connected with what they're doing and, and how they're doing things? So it hasn't informed much uh, in terms of action because we're still under fairly heavy restrictions about what we can do but it's starting to give us a track record of what our, our program priorities will be. And uh, for example, we're under a whole lot of financial stress because our participation has gone from, you know, uh, huge numbers. Well, let me speak to it in budget. We went from a $6 million operation to a $2 million operation in, within a year. Um, and what that does is it puts you under financial pressure. Well, all of our financial assistance and accessibility and inclusion programs were self-funded. In other words, we're a, a charity that succeeds as a social enterprises and uses that money to fund those things. What we did was we, we put a message on our front page on our website for everybody that's signing up for program and saying, please consider adding an extra few dollars to your registration to help us level the playing field and let people that don't have money or need help to participate. Well, in one program, for youth, it, it resulted in nine registrants donating $50 each to level the playing field. And you kind of go, whoa. So it, it reinforces you're in a healthy community in the sense that it's a caring community and uh, it takes you from there. So the, the data says our numbers are way down. How do we sustain this? Well, you have to find another door. It's great to hear that you and the organization come up with innovative ways to battle the financial crisis. I did have one question. You mentioned, you know, you, you kind of have a bit more freedom, which kind of led you to being able to do uh, like a demographic analysis um, when you wanted to. And I was wondering um, if you have any ideas of what uh, community services or recreational service groups miss out by not doing demographic mapping. Sometimes it might not be top of mind to go ahead and, and do that kind of analysis, but what would they miss by not doing what you guys did? If you don't do it, then you, you aren't really responding to the needs of community. And if your service delivery model, even in municipal recreation is, is centers that are scattered around a city, uh, then you, you need to look at, well, what community am I in? And how can I serve the community that I'm in? Cities tend to have centralized planning. And so there's lots of big thinking that happens at city hall, but it doesn't extend out and nor does it often inform uh, people that are in the field. But if you're a city like Ottawa that has scattered facilities all over creation, there's something in every neighborhood and they're, they're usually different because they happen at a different point in time with different priority. If you're running that place and you're just kind of following the harmonization path of, well, this is what is offered at city community centers, you're going to find that there's a huge gap. You're going to be lonely, uh, especially if your fees are harmonized. Because if I'm in a community that's, say, adjacent to Dovercourt, that is a challenged financial community, and I have a set municipal fee for a program, 80% of my population around me can't afford that, so they aren't coming. You can sit there all by yourself and wonder, why is nobody coming? Uh, and never know because the thinking hasn't evolved from city hall where all the data is collected and consolidated and they set direction. And it, 
And you need to have some freedom individually in the neighborhood centers that you run to say, well, what can I run to create activity in the center where I am? And so that it just leads to a much more diverse set of programs and a, and a different set of thinking. And your sum is the same. You will actually achieve more if you kind of target your results better for individual communities based on the data that's there. It's great to hear that the deep commitment of knowing the community that ultimately drives a better services um, that provides to them. And if I can add one more thing, I will say that the technology today and the abundance of data today also equipped organizations and individuals so much you know, so, so much more ways to look at their community. We have these data and technology at our fingertips that will enable us to do these kind of exercises and mapping and outreach a lot easier and at lower cost and, you know, just more effortlessly than 25 years ago, I'd imagine. So it, it's great to know that there, there's awareness that we need to do more of this. And there's also the technology readiness to equip that exercise. So thank you very much, John. It's a delight for us to have you today. And thank you so much for sharing the inspiring story of Dovercord. We wish you all the best for 2021. Thank you. So you just heard from John Rapp, the executive director of the Dovercourt Recreation Association, a community-based charitable organization that runs Ottawa's busiest community center. The community center is known for its innovative programs in recreation, health and fitness, and aquatics. After chatting with John, it's clear why that may be. John and his team have turned to demographic analysis to better understand the community they serve, challenge their assumptions, and tailor their services appropriately. This podcast is brought to you by Esri Canada, a technology company that empowers people and organizations by the science of where. Give us a shout if you have a great story to share, like Dover Courts. Email us at podcast at esri.ca. We look forward to hearing from you. Bye for now. <laughs>